Functions by Chang Terhune. Read by Chang Terhune. Chapter 1 The Ballad of Future Pop. The problem wasn't that Future Pop wasn't heavy enough, but that he wore the wrong shoes. He was heavy enough. No heavy boy could say he was light. His variable gravity FAT suit, fat suit for short, worked perfectly, always polished to the shiniest black. He checked the power supply and gravitizer connections twice a day, once after waking and once before bed at night when he lay the suit on its frame like a sword at an altar. Sudden Timmy said watching him tend to his suit was like watching a samurai prepare for seppuku. Gravitizers increased his weight to Jovian proportions, making him heavier than all the rest. When cops harassed them, trying to shove them off the corner, it was Future Pop who held the codes and stood the longest, as if he were bolted to the sidewalk. Hours of fine-tuning the physics engines paid off in weight and the respect the others gave him. He was bald enough. Future Pop spent his mornings, after checking the fat suit, shaving his scalp clean. All-Star Pete could zoom in with his micro-lenses and check his scalp out, but never a nick nor a cut appeared on Future Pop's skull. His dome was the envy of all the heavy boys. His shades were more than dark enough. Future Pop used only the most righteous, heavy-duty wraparound mokes you could get without a military connection. Self-sealing, powered lenses with hypersensitive optics, playback, and net access were standard for any heavy boy. But no one else had the bandwidth or connection strength that he did. Future Pop always had the latest generation tricked out with max memory and apps. Even Blindside, with his Eastern Union general for a father, grudgingly admitted that Future Pop was seeing the clearest. Future Pop had everything right, and thus he looked tight day and night, hot or cold. No matter the what or where, if he was on the corner, Future Pop never looked wannabe. Anyone who saw him, a civilian, a cop, heavy boy, or angel, knew that Future Pop was tried and true heavy, built to last, standing fat and tough. But it was the wrong sneakers that ended him. That Friday started out like any other. Future Pop got up, took a leak, went back to his room, and locked the door. Unlike other heavy boys, Future Pop didn't think people had to share in his choice of morning music. His room was as soundproofed as his suit was environmentally secure. With the door closed, no one heard anything more than a muffled thump or roar. When open, a passerby in the apartment's short hallway was treated to a blast furnace of sound, as speakers flanking the suit frame emitted bowel-shaking frequencies only a heavy boy could call music. He woke his deck from sleep, ran the diagnostics, and checked that the suit was fully charged with extra power cells he'd cadged from work. He set the auto-diagnostic to look for weak points while he got some cereal. He thought he might pass the carcass, his mom's boyfriend, zoned out in the lounge, but he was nowhere to be found. With cereal bowl in hand, he sat on the bed, watching his TV with an occasional glance on the deck's screen for trouble spots. Future Pop kept his suit in perfect condition, with only a few weak points at the elbows, shoulders, and along the front seals, where it always got the most wear. Some guys had suits so threadbare Future Pop didn't know whether to cry or laugh. Even without optics, you could see where they'd poured on polish and shined frantically to hide the worn areas. 
Most guys like that were only down and heavy because of an older brother they were placeholding for while they were in the chemical lockdown or sleeping some time off in the penal barges in Boston's outer harbor. If his deck found any worn bits, it'd rebuild the nano-weave, reinforcing it until all it took was a bit of polish, and not even Micro Mike, with his autistic tension to detail, could suss out the weak spots. The deck pinged at him, and he scanned the readout, 100% strong. Future Pop smiled and shut the deck off. He slid into grimy overalls, pulled on the cruddy boots near the door, and left his room, locking it up. The carcass might be home later, resting on the government's dime, and Future Pop didn't want to give him the chance to snoop around. Work went fine, like always. The Holy Roller Garage serviced auto haulers, super-heavy drone trucks laden with freight, and Future Pop was its rising star mechanic. Mr. Ajarian, the old guy who owned it, frequently gave Future Pop the best bay in the newest diagnostic AIs. Every morning after punching in, Mr. A would always smile and shout a good-natured, Get to work, dammit, at Future Pop. Future Pop would sidle into the bay and go to work on whatever was parked there. The other guys gave Future Pop all the space he needed to work his magic, sometimes stopping to watch. Even without knowing he was down and heavy, they left him alone, letting a master do his work. Something about Future Pop said, stand back and watch magic happen. Future Pop worked hard, clean, and always left his bay empty when others were scrambling to finish up. He broke for lunch at noon and walked to the noodle taco place on Pearl, where he ordered fish quesadillas and chicken maki, smiling broadly at, but saying nary a word to the girl behind the counter. Her name tag said one thing, but only he knew her as Baby G. He didn't need to say much. Their eyes met and stories flashed in between them, nothing like a steady girl of a year to make a guy like Future Pop feel like he could take on the world. He'd see Baby G later. Future Pop went back to the garage and worked until five o'clock. He headed home after a ritual chewing out by the boss. Fah, Mr. A said, filling the doorway with his bulk. Future Pop smiled. In his suit, he could get that fat in seconds. But that pedestrian kind of everyday human fat wasn't worth draining the batteries. Look at this, Manea. In and at nine and out at five like a goddamn executive. Manea, Mr. A's daughter blushed and smiled in the glow of her screen without raising her eyes off her work. "'Good night, Mr. A,' said Future Pop. "'You're such a big man. How about you run things and I go fix trucks?' "'Not tonight, Mr. A,' said Future Pop. Future Pop rode the subway home to a high-rise by the harbor. On the elevator up, he casually thumbed open the maxi-blade in his pocket. The building was safe but for the occasional scrub in the lobby or halls waiting to pounce and rob you. Tonight he couldn't afford to get a scratch on him. His crew, heavy boys and angels, were gathering for a giant grip grab. An infringing New York crew was coming up to see if they could fill in the ranks of a lesser gang, the Surface Road Gang, avenging some trespassing on their turf. Word was passing through websites, chat salons, feeds, and data diggers about the upcoming clash. No way could Future Pop miss a chance to show New York that Boston was the most heavy and righteous. Besides, as Codeman, he was the one to hold the whole thing together. He strode down the hall to his apartment, humming, thinking of how much total sharpness he would throw down against New York, when he heard a roaring TV announcer's voice coming from the apartment, which meant only one thing. The carcass had revived. 
Future Pop took a deep breath and keyed the door open. The carcass had a cigarette jammed in his mouth and another in his hand. He held a beer bottle alongside it, cheering the baseball game on TV. They glared at each other for a second in mutual disdain over their interrupted routines before Future Pop made for his room. The carcass muttered something forgettable after him. As he entered his room, two things occurred to Future Pop simultaneously. The door was unlocked, and his A-Dad sneakers were gone from their charging berth by his bed. Future Pop stopped, forcing himself to calm and focus. This, on one of the most important nights of his life. He checked the lock. It was okay. A closer check on the deck revealed an entry while he was out at work around 1.30 p.m. Entry in less than 30 seconds, and the perp had only stepped about 10 feet into the room to the foot of the bed. Future Pop wheeled around. The carcass was swaying, drunk and high, a half-empty case of beer at his feet. The single flinty glance he gave Future Pop said everything. You go in my room? asked Future Pop. What? said the carcass looking a little too hard at the TV. I said, did you go in my room? What? Nah, I've been out all fucking day, said the carcass, dragging on the cigarette in hand. He swigged at the beer and yelled, come on, fucking pitch already. Because someone was in my room while I was working, which you don't do, by the way. The carcass kept his eyes on the screen, tugging nervously at the cigarette, then noticing the lit one in his mouth. He took both out and held them in one hand. Wasn't me, said the carcass, glancing at Future Pop. I've been watching the game. Why would I want to go in your fucking room? You know damn well why, shouted Future Pop. To steal something to go buy beer and smokes, since my mom ain't here to buy them for you. Listen, kid, the carcass wheeled at Future Pop. Even without his fat suit, Future Pop was five inches taller and thicker with muscle than the stringy, sweating carcass. Future Pop balled his fists and nodded an invitation. The carcass weighed his options. You ain't worth the effort. The best part of you. We'll keep talking, said Future Pop, going back to his room. I got something for you. From under his bed, he withdrew a pair of thick black gloves that slid themselves up as he put his hands inside them, each comically large like cartoon hands. A red light at the wrist of each lit, and Future Pop trembled as they came online. Rule five was you never used any heavy gear in the house, but Future Pop thought this was an acceptable exception. He went back to the living room. The carcass was halfway out the door when Future Pop threw the first punch. The couch crumpled from the blow, the exo gloves amplifying Future Pop's rage. The carcass managed to escape, but Future Pop followed. I'm fucking out of here, shouted the carcass, running down the hall. Future Pop started to chase him. A few neighbors peeked out to see the free show. The carcass ducked into the elevator. Future Pop glared, and those who saw him wearing military-grade exo-gloves ducked back into their apartments, locking their doors. Future Pop went back into the apartment, slamming the door. He had a feeling the carcass wouldn't be back anytime soon and returned to his room. The cradle where his shoes lay was empty like a grave. How could he represent without A-Dads? Next to the fat suit, Shoes were the most expensive part of his ensemble. Future Pop sat on his bed and stared at the bare, recharging crash, like it was the crib of a kidnapped infant. Everyone knew that any old fancy sneakers wouldn't do. Slapping on a pair of basketball shoes and powering up a fat suit would get you broken feet at the very least. A-Dads were not only styling, but came with an interface suitable for communicating with a fat suit. It was just like the commercial said, A-Dads. 
Substitution is bad for your health. Future Pop fished his phone out of his pocket and dialed. Hello, said a surrogate female voice. Baby, it's me. Oh, hi, Future. Are you that hot? Can't wait to see me? Nah, said Future Pop, looking at the empty crash. I got problems. Problems? Future Pop relayed the incident with the carcass. Damn, did you beat his ass down? No time, baby. Tonight's the night. Well, what are you going to do? Don't know, said Future Pop. The suit gleamed on its rack, begging him to take it down and slide in. My old A-Dad's interface is shot. Maybe if I run, I could... No, let me help, she said. He heard shifting in the background. Her voice lowered to a whisper. She usually reserved for sex. You trust me? Future Pop was silent a little too long. It was a good question. Any heavy boy would tell you that on the subject of gear, trust was a very delicate issue, even with your own angel and a ranking one like Baby G at that. Future Pop, boy, do you trust me? Yeah, he said, hoping he sounded convincing. I'll get you some shoes. It'll be a present. Baby, I... Future Pop didn't let anyone else buy for him. No smart heavy boy did. It was too risky. His girl might know him well, but did he trust her to buy him the right kicks? Did he have the time not to trust her? Okay, he said. He told her his size. They agreed to meet a few blocks away from the corner. Future Pop got ready. The biggest night all year and he was missing crucial gear. He thought about going to pawn shops where the carcass might have sold the shoes, but there were at least ten nearby and all would be closed now. No, he'd have to trust Baby G. Future Pop stripped, showered, then shaved his head clean with his Kelvin Close razor, checking for missed spots with three curving mirrors arrayed around the sink. When finally satisfied he was clipped to perfection, he sprayed on sealant for weather protection. A heavy boy had to stand tall no matter the weather, time of day or night, and it was cold on this October evening. Next he slipped on skin-tight black nano-weave jeans. Never a crease nor a ripple showed as they conformed perfectly to the wearer, sensing every move. They crawled up Future Pop's legs and sealed hermetically over his hips, the zipper self-sealing at the crotch, automatically accounting for his package, maintaining decency without indicating Future Pop was anything less than a man. He slid a similar shirt over his head, letting it creep along his torso until it fit snugly. Not only did the nano-weave stick to his body like it was painted on, but it kept warm in winter and cool in summer, managed by the fat suit's onboard systems. With a sigh, Future Pop considered footwear. Aside from the missing A-Dads, he didn't have many options. He threw his work boots into the auto polisher, and five minutes later, the doors slid open, revealing brand new looking boots. Every scuff cleaned, dents filled, and every surface gleaming black like his fat suit. The only problem was they were nothing like the A-Dads trademarked bright white leather surface and green trim. The idea of going out in anything else made Future Pop cringe. He couldn't fake it and say he was sick, not tonight. His status as the Codeman Heavy Boy depended on representing at tonight's showdown. Future Pop slipped his boots on. Baby G would help. She'd get him A-Dads and he could stash the boots somewhere safe until after the brawl. No one needed to know. 
At his desk, he unplugged his shades from the charging berth. Slipping them on, he was momentarily blind until the MOOCs logo came online and the shades took effect. A quick diagnostic ran before restoring the sight of his room. He stepped onto the frame holding his suit and turned around. Future Pop squatted and leaned in, letting his arms find the sleeves. The suit did the rest, acknowledging him with a ping and lowering onto him gently like the embrace of a giant bat. Sleeves secured snugly at his wrists, as the collar nestled up against the nape of his neck like a lizard. The interface cable slid between neck and collar like a serpent and automatically sought out the socket to his shades. There they wrapped around the back of his head. An icon glowed in the corner of his vision, indicating boy shades and suit were connected as one. He tried not to think of where his ADAD status icon should have been. Future Pop gave his face another quick spray of sealant, then left his room after locking it. He hoped he'd run into the carcass so he could show him what he could do in a suit that amplified his body weight a thousand times, but there was no sign of the skinny bastard as he left the building. Future Pop got on the subway, telling himself the stares from other passengers were in amazement at his heaviness, not the glaring omission of his shoes. He rode sitting stock still, tempted to ramp his weight up high enough to slowly lean the car to one side and grind it to a halt. Future Pop left the subway at South Station and took back alleys towards the corner. On the edges of Chinatown, it was dead quiet but for half a dozen scavengers and some especially cadaverous whores. He ducked into a back alley where Baby G agreed to meet him at this time. She wasn't there. The alley was empty save for the dumpsters of a Sino-Cuban restaurant. Future Pop's phone rang. He keyed it on from the shades with a glance. Yeah? Hey, Future Pop. Baby G, where are you? Silence. Too much silence. Oh, you know, something came up. But baby, what about my A-dads? Oh, don't worry. I stashed the shoes right where I said. I'll see you at the corner. She hung up. Baby G sounded too calm tonight. Future Pop shook his head and moved towards the dumpsters. Night vision carved the darkness into distinct objects and surfaces. There, amongst the pile, was a dark box. Future Pop picked it up, tearing it open to gaze at the shoes within, a gleaming white pair of sneakers with red trim. No tones, he said in a whisper. Baby G knew better. Baby G knew he was an A-Dad's man and Boston was an A-Dad's town. These were no tones. Hadn't they just spent the previous weekend poring over the spring catalog online? Didn't she even see the pairs he pointed out? Something in Future Pop's stomach dropped so fast, he thought the suit was malfunctioning. No, the suit was fine. It was just his heart breaking, like the brittle casing of an auto hauler's muffler after too long a run without service. She couldn't have. But who else? No one could get into Future Pop's room. The carcass wasn't smart enough to break in on his own. The deck registered an entry and not a break-in. The only other person with the code? Baby G. One night five months ago, she said she had a surprise waiting for him. He gave the code to her and came home that night to find her and another girl in his bed prepped for some real all-night action. A setup, said Future Pop, taking one of the shoes out. These were new no-tones, but they were still no-tones. What was Baby G trying to pull? Future Pop dropped the shoe and unzipped a boot. 
The right no-tone slid on smoothly, but it felt as wrong as feeling up his sister. The left shoe slid on just as easily as a knife in the belly. As Future Pop weighed his options, the shades automatically detected the new shoes and downloaded drivers. The fat suit interfaced with them and began calibrating. Maybe tonight they'd drop their constant observation of each other's clothing and not notice Future Pop was wearing the wrong goddamn shoes. The rival's shoes, though? Doubt it. Baby G was up to some major espionage. Future Pop skulked to the corner like a man to the noose. He heard shouting and the bombastic intro of a heavy boy rallying song blaring from someone's suit speakers. Rival sounds clashed with his own crew's tunes. Future Pop tried not to imagine his shoes instinctively hopping in time with the New York rally beats. Future Pop turned the corner and slid into the back of his crew where they were grouped on the northeast corner of Neeland and Washington Streets. Despite the ear-blistering music, he could hear words of unrest among them. Something wasn't right. They milled like an agitated herd with a lion in their midst. Above the Boston crew hovered their angels, girlfriends or sisters, in blazing pink from ingested nanopigments, floating meters over them with diaphanous wings. Angels served as lookouts for the heavy boys, among other things. But Baby G wasn't with them. He looked to the opposite corner, where among the meager numbers of the surface road crew, some New York heavy boys stood, identical to the Boston posse in impossibly black fat suits, clean domes, and wraparound shades. The major difference was their insignia, a white and blue NY, interlaced and ancient in the script emblazoned on the breast of their suits. The New York crew didn't run with angels. They had QPs by their side. Similarly pink, the QPs stood stock still, barely moving in solidarity with their heavy boys, the furry hooded collars of their short jackets ruffled in the cold wind, shapely legs clad in thermal tights. To Future Pop, they looked less like women than fragile, ornamental dolls. New York was old school like that. One of them stood out, her face slightly different, the pucker of her lips not as tight as a smirk crept out of the statue still rictus of her face. There was a brighter light in her eyes. Future Pop zoomed in with his shade's optics. Baby G. Baby G in Cupid gear? The suit automatically accounted for the weight shift as he faltered and kept him from dropping. His mind could hardly focus on the group in front of him as it raced through the impossible track of it all. Stolen shoes, the wrong shoes, not meeting him, and now seeing her on the opposite corner, all rushed around inside his head like a rabid dog chasing its tail. A text message appeared in his shades. Future Poops, she wrote, using the pet name she gave him as an epithet now. Never told you I got people in NYC, and my new man's much heavier than you'll ever be. Thanks for the codes, all of them. By the way, nice no-tones. Too bad New York's gonna kick your asses now. XO, Baby G. Future Pop managed to lock it down before he could throw up. Yo, Future Pop, said someone near him. Through a haze, he turned to see Tiny Town smiling at him. Didn't see you coming in, looking sharp. What the fuck? Tiny Town stared at Future Pop's shoes. He could see the wrinkle of Tiny Town's brow as he tried to make sense of no-tones on Future Pop's feet. Future Pop, 
Man, you Boston heavy. What the... The world seemed to loosen from its axis and wobble. Tiny Town's realization telegraphed through the group like fire over a gasoline lake. Future Pop heard sirens coming closer. You the code man, Future? said Tiny Town in a child's voice. Anger washed over his face. What you playing at? Future Pop tried to speak but found the words caught in his throat like grease choking a cheap drain. Hey! said someone in the front right at the curb. Ain't that Future Pop's girl there? Right next to Kimo Cho? Baby G and Kimo Cho. Perfect, thought Future Pop. He took a step back as Tiny Town nudged the heavy boy next to him, a new recruit named Lex Telex. He pointed and marveled at Future Pop's faux pas like it was a crime scene, oblivious to a rising tide behind them. In a grip-grab brawl, it was Future Pop's job to sync everyone's suit to the same code and frequency. When properly aligned, this turned them into an immovable wall of people that might as well have been as deep and tall as a mountain for all the trouble it took to move them. Once synced, the best a rival crew could do was charge the wall and hope for a weak suit or a weaker will of the wearer. It wasn't easy standing tall and heavy with a hundred-plus crew rushing at you with the force of an auto-hauler gone off its rails. But if the rival got the codes... Yo, man! Someone shouted from the side of the street. My suit ain't sinking! Yo, who got the codes? Future Pop! Where them codes? Similar bleats of fear and anger came up from the crew as their suits failed to interlock, leaving them standing like a group of pathetic black birds in the cold. From across the street came a roar. Future Pop tried to sink his crew's suits via his glasses, but the disconnect icon flashed at him. Blocked. The wall of NYC heavy boys surged forward, ignoring don't walk signs impotently blinking in their path. Future Pop's crew barely had time to put their individual weight on before the first New Yorkers hit the curb. Tire screeches mixed with proximity horns and police sirens as the battle began. Future Pop stepped back, barely able to move away from the tumbling mass of New York and Boston heavy boys rolling his way. Plastic Esteban and Galactic Paul turned around in time to be smashed by a pair of projectile NYC heavy boys launching themselves from the curb. Future Pop watched blood gush from his boys' mouths as they were crushed into the brick wall of the building behind them. Future Pop watched his crew get slaughtered, their angels hovering anxious and useless until the NYC heavy boys began to pluck them from the air. Never a fan before, Future Pop was glad when the cops entered in armored suits. They broke up the brawl with foam hoses and localized EMP blasters, disrupting the fat suit's electronics. Some of his crew stayed heavy in time and stood immobile on the corner. Most were nursing gashes in their suits where hydraulic fluid mixed with blood in purple and green gobs that dripped to the sidewalk. Avoiding the screams and clutching hands of fallen brothers, Future Pop dashed into an alley and made his way back to the dumpster where his boots were stashed. Later, he found out the battle was the worst bloodbath to ever hit the heavy boys since there were heavy boys in Boston. 
He made it back to his apartment, avoiding the tea and running through alleys until his legs ached and his throat was thrashed from the cold air he gulped in as he scrambled around sleeping scrubs and dumpsters. Once inside the empty apartment, he stripped out of his gear, letting the suit fall to the floor instead of replacing it on his frame. He began calling the crew, getting voicemail or disconnection recordings. For an hour he dialed around, looking out the window into the glimmering lights of the harbor until he finally got hold of a low-level noob named Tinker Ted. Yo, Ted, it's Future Pop. Future man, it's all messed up, the boy was whispering. I'm hanging at the all-base, but shit ain't right. What happened, Future Pop asked. I was in the back and something went down. Suits didn't sink. Codes was wrong, yo. NYC took us over and laid us out like sod on a lawn. Messed up bodies was all they left. Police didn't do shit, neither. Went at us, but let NYC in around them to inflict damage. Damage, son. What did they say happened? What's the word? No one knows. Nets are dead. No one posting. Back there, I heard Blackhead Fred say the code man was high or something. Hey, wait. Wasn't you the code man tonight, man? Me, said Future Pop, feeling his throat close down. Nah, I think it was... Yeah, it was you, man. All Papa said back at the meetup, you was the code man. If I was you, I'd laid low. Hey, what the... There was sudden commotion on Tinker Ted's end. Loud voices, banging, maybe gunfire. Shit, the cops, they're coming into the... Shouts overtook the line as Future Pop hung up. Their home base had been found by the cops. If he'd gone there straight from the fracas, he would have been picked up, put to sleep, and shipped out to the harbor. He spent Saturday getting rid of his gear. He ignored the guy at the pawn shop who said he bought a fresh pair of ADADs off a junkie earlier that week and took whatever he could get. Some aspiring heavy boy, if there were any left after the loss to New York, would luck out finding Future Pop's prime gear at rock-bottom prices. Sunday, he moved out and left Mom a note, though he doubted she'd care. Future Pop didn't have much in the way of belongings after selling his gear. Some day and work clothes, his deck and stereo was about it. He packed everything into a one-room place closer to the garage. Monday, he awoke to a bare apartment and an unsteady new world. He dressed and ate in silence, then left for work. "'Boy, you look like hell,' said Mr. A as he stumbled into work. Mr. A seemed to sense his unease and let him alone after that. Future Pop found it hard to concentrate and loaded up on more coffee than usual. His work was sloppy, and he sometimes had to stop and get his hands to keep from shaking. At lunch, he avoided the noodle taco stand, even though he knew Baby G wouldn't be working there anymore. He bought some bland food off the truck outside the garage and ate in his bay. What's his problem? said Mr. A as Future Pop punched out an hour later than usual. You work like rookie today, too. Bad weekend, Future Pop mumbled. Hmm, said Mr. A. He sat at his desk, crammed with papers and a glowing deck. Well, there is always trucks to fix as long as you work like you usually do. Bad weekend or no. Yeah, said Future Pop. He's good boy, right? said Mr. A looking over at Manea. Shyly, she looked up from her deck. "'I see you tomorrow, then,' said Mr. A. "'At least you got no boots, eh?' 
Future Pop looked down at his once shiny boots, as if they belonged to somebody else, noticing the scuffs from his flight from the brawl mixed in with those from work. Something like that, he said, and left for the night. This has been chapter one of my book, Tribal Malfunctions, written by Chang Terhune, as read by me, Chang Terhune. I'm looking to release these about once a week, hopefully, uh, give or take. It's a pretty big book. Uh, let's see, 400 some odd pages and about 130,000 words. So uh, might not be a chapter a week, but definitely an installment, bits of chapters each week. I hope you like it and enjoy it. Please feel free to leave comments. Actually, please leave comments. I'm so desperate for the attention. Um, but I would like to hear from you. And I appreciate you listening. And uh, next week, uh, there will be a new installment of Travel Malfunctions by me, Chang Terhune. Take care and stay out of trouble. Thank you.